All right, is this on? <laughs> Mac wasn't joking when he said it brought him back to his high school days. We do look like hippies from the 1970s in Portland. <laughs> but I, I kind of figured out that the way to reach people in Portland is you have to not only preach Jesus, but you have to look like him as well. So, um, so when I preach there, I wear a robe. No, I'm just joking. I don't. I don't. <laughs> well, I am grateful to be here with you today. I'm God bless India, but I despise your water. Um, and uh, I, I had a great time in Bangalore, and I thought I, I, thought I was um, bulletproof. And I insisted on drinking street coffee. And the Indian man I was with, he said, do not drink our coffee. And I'm like, no, I'm going to drink it. It looks good. And, and lo and behold, two days into Dubai, I was pretty deathly ill. Yesterday, I had a pretty intense fever and could barely walk up and down the stairs. But um, the miracle of doctors and modern medicine... Thank God, better living through chemistry. I'm feeling much better today. So, well, hey, I want to um, open up the word. If you will, open up your Bibles uh, with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, and uh, we're going to be looking at verses 22 through 24. Really, we're going to be focusing on verse 23. Paul writes, Jews demand signs. And Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Let us pray. And Father, my prayer today is that for my brothers and sisters in this room, as well as for myself, that we would be reminded of the simplicity of our message, that we are not here to give prescriptive ways of better living through how to date better, how to have a better marriage, how to have a healthy life, how to prosper. But Lord, we are called to preach Christ crucified. And I pray, Jesus, that um, if we would remember that the gospel is the center of the Christian life, that the cross is the center of the gospel, and that our hearts would be fixed upon you, because when we fix our eyes upon you, Jesus, um, we gain equilibrium. Um, Our lives become centered. And Lord, forgive us for all the times we spin our wheels on the peripherals of the Christian faith and we lose sight of you, turning our faith into nothing more than an ideology rather than a living, vibrant relationship with you, the living God. And so, Jesus, I pray today um, for my brothers and sisters that you would become more real than ever before. I pray that we would see the cross as the great reminder um, of our intense sinfulness, but also of your immense love. And I pray, Jesus, that you would draw our hearts close to you. For you said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And that's my prayer today. I pray, Holy Spirit, right now that you would give me a tongue of fire, that you would give me your words to speak, that I would decrease, that you, Jesus, would increase. Um, And Lord, without you... uh, I have nothing to say. The people didn't come here to hear from me. They came to hear from you. So I pray that you would speak. We pray in the words of Samuel, Speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to begin by just giving you a little background. So two and a half years ago in Portland, Oregon, my wife and I set out on an incredible adventure to start a church called Door of Hope. And before we even began the church, I began to seek the Lord in prayer and in the scriptures 
to, to, that God would give me a vision for our church. And I remember one day specifically, I was driving over what's called the Fremont Bridge. Portland is divided by a river, the Willamette River. There's the west side and the east side. The west side's dumb, the east side's awesome. And that's where our church is, on the east side. <laughs> um, and the east side really is kind of the artistic, bohemian, uh, young, kind of art-driven community. Uh, and the west side's a little more, a little more yuppie. Jesus loves them too, but I think he loves the east side more. <laughs> um, but, but as I was driving over the bridge, um, God put on my heart just one really clear statement. And it was the closest thing, and, I, and I'm not a charismatic, but there was this, it was like almost like an audible voice from God. And it was simply this, if you preach Christ and him crucified, I'll bless what you do. If you don't, I won't. I was like, it's a pretty straightforward thing. So I began to kind of map out what would be the vision of Door of Hope, and I realized that, that we as Christians have this horrible tendency of complicating the gospel message. Um, we love to spin our wheels on the peripherals of the Christian experience. Um, and, and what happens when we do that is we just read in that text, you know, it says that the, the Jews seek after a sign, we're looking for a performance Jesus, someone to entertain us um, without causing us any pain. Um, or the, the Greeks seek after wisdom, we're, we're looking after intellectual pursuits, um, uh, a mental ascent, but all the while the personal Jesus, is which, which is what we should be after, um, the one who can be known and longs to be known as he knows us, um, waits to be wanted. I think that, that that is the difficulty in the church is that often Christianity, especially in America, and I can't really speak to Dubai because I've only been here for a few days, but I'm kind of convinced that humanity is humanity, and in our fallen states, our natural tendency um, is to adhere to an ideology, a way of living, rather than adhering to a relationship with the living God. And so, we call ourselves Christians, but we often act as if God is distant, removed, detached, but if we would adhere to the gospel, if we would come back to that center, and I'm grateful for this church, I know that it's centered on the gospel, um, I, I, I wouldn't be here otherwise, but meeting Mac, um, and he really was a soulmate. Within five minutes of meeting him, I said, what are you doing tonight? And he's like, what do you want me to do, brother? I'm like, I'd like you to preach at my church. Which usually is dangerous when you just meet someone. You don't generally just give someone the pulpit. But Mac seemed like a solid bet, and it was a powerful evening. But, but just even hearing about your church, I know that this is a gospel-centric church, and I'm grateful for that. And we pray for you guys, um, and we, we are excited because we kind of see a kindred thing. God is doing a movement in Dubai that's, um, that's hard to ignore. Uh, I mean, the fact that this many people are sitting here um, in, in a city, uh, in a nation, that, that Christianity really isn't... Um, uh, isn't allowed. <laughs> so it's a powerful testimony to the power of the gospel. But if we forget, if we forget the cross, if we forget Christ, and we become about better ways of living, how to have a better marriage, not that those things aren't important, but if those things start taking the, the focus from the pulpit, and believe me, I've worked at churches where they did, um, it, it's harmful to the work of Christ, and it's deadening to our Christian experience. I want you guys to just remember, as we get into this text, um, a very specific thing. Christianity is Christ. Everything else is peripheral. Christianity is Christ. Everything else is peripheral. To remove the cross 
from Christianity is to drain it of its blood. I mean, that's the fact. If you remove the cross from Christianity, you have literally drained our faith of its blood. So I want us to think, because Paul was big on the cross, and he was an intellectual, and he was a man of signs and wonders. He, he had it all, really. I mean, he was like the super apostle. Uh, probably next to Jesus, the most powerful um, man used by God. And, and he himself said, in, remember in chapter 1, verse 18, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so what I want us to consider today are really what I would call four words that wield absolute authority in the Christian life. And these four words are, we preach Christ crucified. Say that with me. We preach Christ crucified. So let's break down each of these words because I think it will give us a tremendous amount of insight into the power of the gospel. So the first word is we. Notice that Paul did not say I preach Christ crucified. The gospel responsibility is not upon simply your pastors. Paul immediately puts forth plurality. The power of the church functioning together, born again believers, those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, declaring together the gospel. Which tells us something about preaching the gospel, that preaching the gospel is not simply the declaration of something that you have been taught, but preaching the gospel is something that we do with our whole life. So I'd ask you today, what does your life preach? Isn't that interesting? This is is the statement that should define our lives. We preach Christ crucified. And every one of us are preaching something with our lives. Let me ask you the, the simple but poignant question, is your life preaching Jesus? Because that has far more to do. There needs to be authority behind the words stated. In other words, there needs to be a transformed life. Jesus was deeply concerned with the heart, not the externals. Many of you may be looking at me and my tattoos right now and you're like, there is no way that man is a believer in Jesus. (laughs) In fact, I think he's a cult leader. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus comes into the heart and he transforms us from the inside out. Remember, uh, God even said of, of, um, to Samuel when looking for David, he says, do not consider the appearance, for God looks at the heart of man. And, and our lives preach whatever our heart is full of. Our lives preach whatever our hearts are full of. And so the responsibility of the congregation, so you may ask, well, how am I preaching the gospel while you're preaching? Well, the fact of the matter is, is that the power of the gospel, I'm convinced that I've seen this happen at Door of Hope, as more people are actually getting really saved and becoming born again, the Spirit of God indwells born-again believers. And so when I am preaching the gospel, there is, a, there is a confirmation amongst the people, and there's a sense of God's Spirit in the place. And so we preach. So when a non-believer comes in to investigate what's happening at Door of Hope, they sense the Spirit of God. Even if my message falls flat, the Spirit of God um, surpasses. And I remember what it was like to preach in the beginning where I felt like I was just on show every week. And I was wondering how many people actually knew Jesus in the congregation because they just felt like they were a bunch of voyeurs just staring, waiting for me to entertain them. But now there's this sense of this unity of the Spirit where, where I can just tell that God's Spirit is, is, um, 
is making himself known, not just through the one who's communicating the gospel in the moment, but through the whole body, unified together, praying together, worshiping together, taking in the word of God together. You see, Jesus himself said that evangelism begins in the community of faith. He said to the disciples the night of his, the night of his betrayal, remember in John chapter 13, he says, they will know you are my disciples by what? Your love for one another. The most evident, the greatest evidence of our faith, the, most, the greatest external evidence of our faith is our love for one another. That's not normal. When we love each other regardless of class, Regardless of nationality, well, and that's the beautiful thing about Dubai is I've never. It's like you guys are from all over the world. It's the weirdest place on the planet. <laughs> I wish some of you guys would come to Portland because we're the whitest city in the United States. <laughs> the only thing that defines us is you know our some have mustaches and some have beards. That's that's it. <laughs> but but the thing that's so beautiful is look at this. All of you from represented from all over the world have come together because your hearts are knit together by one thing, the gospel. By one thing, the Holy Spirit. And that is, that's bewildering to most of the world. They don't get that. And that is the first piece of preaching Christ crucified, is it begins with we, not I. Christianity is not an individualistic faith. Yes, it begins with the individual becoming right with God, but the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are born again into a family, baptized into a family. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not this second blessing that comes on the believer um, at some point in their Christian life. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the moment you become regenerated, you are immersed into a family of God. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is where the power of the gospel comes. One of the things that I learned at Door of Hope is that, that we preach Christ crucified much better than I preach Christ crucified. We have a park um, two blocks from our church called Colonel Summers Park. It is, it is what I call the, the hipster capital of the world. And if you don't know what a hipster is, I hope that you never learn what it is. Um, <laughs> because there's an article recently that called hipsterdom the dead end of Western civilization. And I think it's possibly true. Um, but basically, it's just all these young adults that hang out in this park. And they, they drink Pabst Blue Ribbon beer. And they smoke pot. And some of them run around naked. And it's legal in Portland to run around naked because we're such a liberal city. Um, it, this is the weirdest law. It's legal to be naked in Portland as long as you're not enforcing your nudity on someone. <laughs> I personally believe that the moment you're naked in public, you're enforcing it on everyone. But I, maybe I'm dumb. I, I didn't go to college. So I, maybe I have a misunderstanding of what that means. Um, but so this park is insane. And I had this deep desire. I'm like, I want, I, I don't want Portland. In Portland, it's not popular to be a Christian. And so Christians often enter into this idea of kind of that we need to be a secret society. Um, and they're, they're afraid. They're afraid of, of persecution. They're afraid of, of being made fun of. I mean, the worst that's going to really happen to you in Portland is you're just going to get mocked or they're going to think you're dumb or ridicule you. But I mean, you're not going to get beat up or, or killed in Portland. But it's still, it's funny how, deep, how deeply we care about what people think of us. Um, but I, I'm like, what, how, what can I do to encourage our body to have 
more courage. Because you notice that the early church in the book of Acts, they never prayed for the salvation of people. They prayed for the courage to share the gospel with people that weren't saved. And so I'm like, okay, this is what we need to do. We need to bring our whole church service to the park, um, to Colonel Summers Park. And I'm like, you can't do amplification because if you do amplification, you have to get a permit from the city and that would be a bunch of hoops to jump through. But I'm like, open air preaching, freedom of speech. We'll just go to the park and we'll just do open air preaching. That's every great revival has an element of open air preaching. It was Mac who told me that. And what I'm like, you know what? He's right. And I'm a bit of a zealot. So I'm like, he said it. Let's do it. Um, So, so I realized that if I went to the park by myself and started preaching the gospel, everyone just think I'm obnoxious and they would, they would walk away. But if we brought two, three hundred people to the park and we preach the gospel and we sing worship together, that we together um, all of a sudden have a, a, an element of authority that cannot be denied. And we did it all summer long, every Thursday night. We, Thursday night at Colonel Summers became the night that the church met. And all these people came every week. They would stand on the fringes. Yes, sometimes they would mock us. Sometimes they would yell out at us and do all kinds of weird things. We even had an, um, a, a woman who came and sat in the, in the fringes without her top on. And I, she just did it to be obnoxious. And what was amazing is that she accused us of trying to get attention. <laughs> I'm like, you're not wearing a top, okay? <laughs> So what is 1 Corinthians? But my voice is so loud, you didn't even really notice. (laughs) I did, I just clicked it. Sorry about that. So as it is, there are many parts but one body. So we as a body preach Christ crucified. Um, Ephesians 4.4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. When you were called. So, as we are called into a relationship with Him and through Him with one another, and that relationship is one of simplicity, sincerity, and singleness. Evangelism is most powerful together. I would argue that to my grave. So, the second word we see is preach. We preach. What does the word preach mean? Preach literally means to herald or to introduce someone. You know the the classic, the the picture of the the king's court and um, the herald would come in and blow his little horn introducing king so-and-so. That's essentially what it means to preach. So you notice that preaching isn't simply the declaration of information, but preaching is introducing people to the king. Henry Jowett, he was a great English preacher who landed in New York City, um, wrote uh, in a book, um, what was that book called? It's a great, great book. I can't remember the name of it. But he had this great illustration that for when we as Christians preach, what we're called to do is to pull back the curtain and to hide ourselves in its fold so that Jesus can be seen. I love that. That we're called to introduce people to Christ. Um, and so, so this idea, let me think, think about this with me. If Jesus Christ sends his spirit 
to dwell in you. And if Jesus himself said, and lo, I am with you always, and I will never leave you nor forsake you, and it's good that I go to the Father, for if I, if I go to the Father, um, I will send the Spirit, the Helper, to dwell within you. And if we believe that to be born again is to literally receive the Spirit of Christ into our very lives so that we ourselves can become a reflection of the living Christ, isn't that a crazy thing? If someone asks you what Jesus is like, that biblically we should be able to say, imitate me as I imitate Jesus? Are you comfortable saying that about your life? But I, let, me, let, me, let me just go back to this idea that Jesus is with you. Now, if Jesus is with you, what is the rudest thing that you can do um, when you go into a setting where you're introducing people? Like, so, the, the worst thing that I could do to my wife, Darcy, really, the worst thing, and I know because I've only done it a couple times because my wife has an incredible temper. Um, <laughs> scary <laughs> uh, I'll be talking with some people and my wife saying I mean there's a couple times where I forgot to introduce her only a couple <laughs> and, and, and man the wrath of my wife just how, that was so rude I'm your wife why'd you not introduce me to them and I, and I thought I'm like that is a perfect illustration like how offensive it is if Jesus is always with us but we're so reluctant to introduce him to anyone but to preach is to introduce Jesus to the world. And, and if, if we're to simplify our lives to be about this one thing, that's what Paul said, this one thing I do, um, the simplicity of our message is that we're simply called, we together are called to introduce people to Jesus. This is what, this is what the herald does. Romans ten fourteen. how then can they call on, on the one who they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? I think that that word is for all of us. I think that word is a reminder that God's primary means of reaching a lost humanity is through redeemed men and women like you and I. We are called into a partnership to bring the kingdom on earth. And to bring the kingdom on earth, you're not talking about a kingdom unless you're talking about the king. And so we're introducing people to the king. And, and if we're not doing that, what is the point of Christ keeping us here after he saves us? Because his whole purpose for keeping us on earth after we come to faith in him is that we might then be literally conduits by which his glory and his spirit um, is revealed. So are you preaching Christ? Are you preaching Christ crucified? It's rude to talk of someone as if they're not there when they're right next to you. And Jesus is with you, friends. He is with you today. It says that when two or more are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst of them. But really, biblically, there is never a point when Jesus is not with you. God is not detached and removed from his creation. It's the beauty of the gospel is reminding that God is with us. The whole Christmas story is that God is with us. And Jesus is with you. And the power of of preaching um, Christ, introducing the people to the king. The reason that I have boldness to preach Christ wherever I go is because I recognize that I have the backing of the entire universe. That I'm speaking, I'm speaking of the one who spoke and the universe leapt into existence. What do I have to be afraid of? Do you have that kind of confidence that Jesus is really with you? And that if you're willing to preach him, if you're willing to lift him up, that he really will draw people to himself. I think if we believed that, we would see revivals all over the world. We would. 
So what's the third word that we have before us? We preach Christ. Notice, you're not introducing people to an ideology. You're not introducing people to a better way of living. You're not introducing people to morality. You're not introducing people to a denomination. Even to a church. You're introducing people to a personality. The living God. We preach a person. And here's the beauty of this. Is that the narrowness of our message is what opens is the gateway to the vastness of our God. The narrowness of our message is what opens up the vastness of our God. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8 says, This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Think about that. Boundless, which really to me says endless. I mean, how can you come to an end of Jesus? I mean, the clo- every year that I grow in my relationship with Jesus... Um, I realize that, that the depths of his love, the depths of his mercy, the depths of his truth, his justice, his glory, his holiness, there's no end to it. Following Jesus is the greatest adventure that I've ever entered into in my life. And yet the most solid foundation ever as well. E. Stanley Jones says of Jesus, he was a great missionary to India. He said, in him we see what man is. And how far we have fallen. In him we see what God is. And how far we may rise. Isn't that powerful? It is true that when we preach Jesus. We're preaching perfection. And when we preach perfection it reveals. I think one of the reasons we're afraid to preach Jesus. Is because it reveals our imperfection. It's like shining a glaring light on all the ugliness of the human heart. But there's no other way. And to preach Jesus, you know, for me, I, I, I was often asked, like, why was, it, why was it Jesus? Why did you come to Jesus? And I, I've come to the conclusion that for me, when I came to faith in Jesus, I could think of no person more beautiful than Jesus Christ. No person more beautiful than Jesus Christ. I, even, I, I heard one, one person say it one, one time, I can't remember who it was, it might have been E. Stanley Jones, it said, he says, if Jesus, if Jesus is not God, I have to worship the people who invented him. because he could imagine no one more beautiful and I feel the exact same way what brought me to Christ was actually reading through the gospels and reading reading the words of Jesus and looking at the life of Jesus and I'm like no person could have invented this man man could not have invented this man he's too perfect at one point he's he's more human than any human who's ever lived and at another point he's totally unlike any human he's God And that's the baffling paradox of the Christian faith. But we preach a personality. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is Lord is one of the great statements of the Christian faith. But think about this. What are we preaching when we preach Christ? When we preach Christ, to preach Jesus is to introduce others to the door. It's to introduce people to the way, to introduce people to the truth, to introduce people to the life, to introduce people to light, to introduce people to the good shepherd, to introduce people to the bread of life, to introduce people to the resurrection. All of that. Think about this in Jesus. What does it tell us in 2 Corinthians? It says that all the promises of God are yes in Jesus. 
and we say amen to his yes. See, we're not preaching if we don't preach Jesus. In America, there's a great move right now um, to preach causes and to preach community. A lot of churches that are built around community, built around social justice. And man, God does. He cares for the poor and he cares for the hurting. But it's Jesus that all of humanity needs. And if we leave Jesus on the, on the outskirts of our faith, we're not Christians. I mean, really, that's preaching communism, practically. <laughs> so we have to come to this reality that the thing that the world needs more than anything else is not something, but someone. And so we give people Jesus. I would think about the young rich ruler when Jesus was speaking to him. The young rich ruler, what did he ask Jesus? He says, how may I have eternal life? And he thought Jesus would give him a set of steps to get eternal life. And what he didn't realize is that eternal life was standing before him. Jesus is eternal life. So what we do is we preach someone that we know. I'll give you an example of how, how faulty this can be if we don't really know our Savior. Have you guys ever, do you guys have in Dubai um, uh, A&E, that television station? I don't know if you do. Uh, A&E is like an um, arts and entertainment channel, but it does all these biographies, like these famous, like biographies of famous people. And there was this one I watched, you know who Marilyn Monroe is? And it was like a biography of Marilyn Monroe. And they, and they interview all these people that know all this stuff about Marilyn Monroe. And there was this guy, he was this really creepy looking man with glasses. Um, and he, and he was, he was a, the world's leading expert on Marilyn Monroe. That's what his life preached. It's amazing. Um, and so they kept interviewing him. I'm like, this guy's creepy. I don't, I don't like this guy. And uh, he'd give all this information. There was something wrong about it. And then I figured out what was wrong about it. Is that he was the, leads, the world's leading expert on Marilyn Monroe, but he never met her. <laughs> he didn't know anything about Marilyn Monroe. We can't truly know Jesus, or we can't truly talk about Jesus until we know him. The purpose of the gospel is not to save you out of hell, to get you into heaven. But to get God out of heaven back into your heart, that he might restore his righteous character, that you might enter into a right relationship with him. So that the God that you speak of is a God that you know and fellowship with and love and adore and worship and talk with and walk with. Is that the Jesus that you know? God forbid that we talk about a Jesus that we don't know. I actually think that's more damaging than good. We must speak of a Jesus that we have been introduced to, that we have come into contact with. The gospel, the word of God is powerful. Um, and it's to lead us to the living Christ. Every line in scripture points us to the living Christ. Um, but if we don't meet the living Christ, the book is dead in our hands. And this is why it requires um, a true, truly being born again. If you're here today and you have not been born again, if, that were, if that's a puzzling idea to you, I would challenge you to examine your faith. That it's not something that's merely intellectual, but, it, but that you have entered into a relationship. God wants to have a relationship with you. Only then will you be able to speak of Him rightly. So finally, we come to the final word, crucified. Isn't it interesting <laughs> that Paul doesn't say we preach Christ resurrected or, or we just preach Christ 
But he says, no, we preach Christ crucified. And here is the scandal of the gospel. Here is the great scandal of the Christian faith. For what do we see on the cross? The cross is the great revelation of the depravity of man and the intensity of God's love colliding together. The cross is, is, is the thing that truly centers our lives. We not only preach Jesus, but we share what he did. <laughs> Think about it. If Jesus had come and had lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, but then didn't die, we would be doubly damned. <laughs> we would be doubly damned. But Jesus lived a perfect life which qualified him for the death that he died. He was the perfect sacrifice. He took upon himself the judgment that you and I deserve. He took upon himself the Father's wrath so that we today could live as if we lived his life 2,000 years ago. Isn't that amazing? On the cross, Jesus died as if he lived our lives, our sinful lives. He who knew no sin became sin. That today we could live our lives as if we lived his. That's a, it's, it's what a brother in, in America calls the great switcheroo. <laughs> I think that's a good way of putting it. 1 Corinthians 2.2 For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And, and I think that Paul is stating something that, is, um, that is, is, is a profound reality for us as believers. You know, all works of genius have an unrepeatable quality. They can be admired, studied, even used as a source of inspiration, but they can never be repeated. And nowhere is that more true than the work of the cross. No more, where is that more true? The death of Jesus as a sacrifice for sin is the central theme of scriptures. As I prayed in the beginning, if the gospel is the center of Christianity, the cross is the center of the gospel. And we have to understand this. And this is what's so offensive. People will talk about Jesus, but we sometimes leave out, there's lots of liberal churches in America, and they'll talk about Jesus as a good teacher, Jesus as a good example, as an illustration of morality, but they leave out the cross because the cross is utterly offensive because what does the cross do? The cross reminds us of our absolute impotence, our inability to save ourselves, our inability to reach God in our own efforts and our own merits. We cannot get to God. The separation is vast. One sin is enough to separate us from God for all of eternity to send us to hell. Jesus experienced hell on the cross so that we don't have to. But the cross is offensive because it tells us, no, you are not good enough to get to heaven. You can't do it. So we don't just preach Jesus. We preach Jesus Christ crucified because Jesus Christ crucified puts us on our knees where we belong. It puts us on our knees before a holy God who in order for him to be able to forgive our sins required the sacrifice of his own son, which reveals the vastness of his love. You know, it's been said, no, cry, or, no cross, no crown. But I would say no cross, no Christ. No cross, no Christ. You aren't talking about Jesus until you talk about Jesus Christ crucified. Because the cross isn't just death. Cross is also resurrection. On one side it's death, but on the other side it's life. Because, remember, death could not keep him. And when we talk about the gospel, we speak of his life. We speak of his death. We speak of his resurrection. 
We speak of his ascension and we don't even stop there. Then we speak of the sending of his Holy Spirit. All of those elements are summed up in the, in the gospel, but the cross is at the center of it all. And the costliness of forgiveness is revealed in the cross. The only ground on which the Father can forgive us is the tremendous tragedy of the cross. To forgive our sins costs God his Son. Let me share with you a quote from John Stott from his beautiful book, Cross of Christ. He says, the essence of sin is we human beings substituting ourselves for God. That's the essence of sin, we making ourselves God. While the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for us. We put ourselves where only God deserves to be. God put himself where we deserve to be. Love that quote. So let me ask you the question in closing. Is your life preaching Christ crucified? Can you say, as Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you have a burning desire? Have you entered into what I like to call the fellowship of the burning heart? Like the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Did not our hearts burn within us as he opened up the scriptures to us? Does your heart burn to preach Jesus? Are you as a church preaching Jesus and Jesus crucified? You see, I learned early on that when I came to the cross and entered into what I like to call the good death, that that is when life really began. In fact, I came to faith in Christ and didn't really submit my life for the first year. It was sort of like this exploration, like I thought I could have Jesus and still pursue my desire to be famous. About like Jesus and me co-planning my life. It's awesome. Now for sure I'll be on the cover of Rolling Stone. But it took about a year in of God breaking me down and revealing that it wasn't until I sur- that Jesus would not, if he wasn't my all in all, he wasn't going to be anything at all. And I would ask you, what does your life preach? What is the center of your life? Is the gospel the center? Because you, you know what Paul says at the end here, notice it says, it says, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And, and here it's, it shows the difference between declaration and demonstration. Is that we are not called simply to declare the gospel. We are to demonstrate the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if that's a confusing idea to you, what I mean by that is there needs to be an authority in your life. You can tell when someone's speaking of something they know. And you can tell when they're lying. Don't pretend to be the Christian you're not. Become the Christian that God wants you to be. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Accept his work on the cross on your behalf. Recognize that apart from Jesus, there is no access to God. Give your life fully to him. Surrender fully. Enter into the good death because on the other side is resurrection and life. The primary thing that Jesus came to give was not the forgiveness of sins. He said, I have come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. But that life is only found as we go through the cross. And yes, on one side it's a little painful, but on the other side is joy and happiness and fulfillment. That is the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the power of your word. I thank you for the gospel. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to draw us close to yourself. And Lord, right now I pray for those in this room that might not know you. 
that might not have a, a, a true faith in you. And I pray, Jesus, that there would be a deep conviction. Um, Holy Spirit, we're told that you will convict the world, uh, but you also are the comforter. And I pray, Lord, that, that the revelation of our sinfulness and our inability to reach you would turn to a, us crying out in repentance, a change of mind, a change of direction about who's going to be God and a surrender to you, Jesus. The word simply says that whoever, whoever confesses with their lips that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead shall be saved. Lord, I pray that every heart in this room would cry out today, Jesus is Lord, a cry of repentance, a cry of faith. Thank you that, Lord, even faith is a gift from you. <laughs> I pray, Lord, that you would move in power today and that many would come to know you and that many would be encouraged by the gospel and be centered again, once, once again, upon you. We need you. Without you, we can do nothing. And so we pray these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.